If you're new or busy with us this morning, welcome. Um, even if you've been here every, every week for years, we want to do this every single week because we forget, we forget um, what our life is about sometimes. We go through life and life is tough and life is hard and we forget. And so it's important to be reminded every week. There's three things that make us who we are. The first is that there's hope beyond our brokenness. Like in all the broken spots in our life right now, that is not what defines us. We, are, we have hope beyond that. Because what really defines us is not what's been done to us or not what we've done, but it's who we belong to. And we belong to Jesus. Second, we believe that we're called to try, learn how to trust him. And he's good. Like he's really, really, really good. Did you know that God is really smart? Did you know that God, like, he knows what's going to happen in your life? And so to put weight on him, um, W-E-I-G-H-T, sometimes also looks like waiting on him, W-A-I-T-I-N-G, right? Where we wait for him and trust that he's got what we need, the blessings that we're looking for, that we're waiting for. We don't need to frantically scramble for them. We can trust him to provide. And third, we believe that we are called right now to bring restoration, right, right where we are, to enter the muck and the mire of the, of the lives of the people that are around us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, to be able to not keep our distance, but to come close to them so that we could be part of their restoration. So God has loved us. We are called then to love others in the same way. And God doesn't stand at a distance from our muck and our mire asking us to get it all together. God enters in close. Amen? So that's what we believe as a church. And each one of those beliefs has a decision attached to it. So let's read this together in the hope that if we say this every week, something will happen. Ready? Here we go. Oh, look, we got the whole thing. God bless you, John. You're the man. Here we go. A read with me. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Choosing to change by Jesus. Choosing to seek Jesus first. And choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So that is, that is God's choice. Or that's, those are our choices for God. And today we're going to be talking about God's choice for us. And we're in John chapter 13 this morning. And we've been going through the gospel of John. And we will finish right before Thanksgiving. We got it all timed out. Um, so we're excited. I, I'm excited for these next couple of weeks. And in the Gospel of John, for the first 12 chapters, that goes through three years of Jesus' public ministry. And then starting in chapter 12, that was last week, when Jesus shows up and he rides a donkey into town and everybody's saying, Hosanna, praise God, here comes the king, here comes the president, right? That was last, that was last week. So 12 chapters leading up to this moment, three years over 12 chapters. Now, from John chapter 12 
all the way through John chapter 21, it's going to be about a week and a half. So time slows down. And this is true of all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first half of most of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is all about the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And then the latter half of most of those Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is about that last, um, th- this most holy, precious week. Not the last week of Jesus' life. He's alive. Amen? Amen? Okay. Yeah. Just this most holy and incredible, momentous week. So this passage today is about when Jesus washes his friend's feet. That's where we're going. And it starts with this curious and yet powerful introduction. Would you read with me? It was just before the Passover festival. So this is like Thursday night, Wednesday night of that week. Okay. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And, and the Greek here is this, that it's eistelos. Say that with me. Eistelos. That's to the end. Okay, that's that phrase at the very end. To the end. That's eistelos. Literally, it means to the end or completed to perfection or... So, Jesus is going to start this night by saying, it is finished. And then he's going to end the next day on the cross by saying, it is finished. And those are the bookends from this, the start and the end from John chapter 13 to John chapter 21. And so, this entire section is about what it looks like for Jesus to love us to perfection to completion, till it is finished. You picking up what John's putting down? Say yes. yes. Good job. You can stay with me. Only, only an hour and a half more to go, okay? Here we go. So last, yesterday, college football started, and, and, and Hugh Freeze, the, 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 um, the coach of Liberty University, was playing Syracuse, and Hugh Freeze threw out his back, and so Hugh Freeze coached the game from, on a hospital bed from the press box. Like he was giving video inspirational speeches and he's looking to the playbooks and trying to look down on the field. And uh, no, they lost. They, they lost 24 to nothing or maybe even worse. I'm not sure. Um, but there Hugh Freeze is, is trying to coach. And I love this. I love this. He's, he's telling his prayer. I mean, you got to know football coaches, right? They're telling their players over and over again all week long, don't give up. Get back up. Keep on going. Keep on going, right? So he can't say, oh, my back hurts. You know, he's got to like do this. And what Hugh is demonstrating here is dedication, effort, persistence, right? Like I, I'm, I'm moving forward with, his, with all my energy and all my heart to try and accomplish what it is that God has put me on this earth for, that's really good. Really, really good. Y- yesterday, uh, our f- group of friends celebrate um, our friend Dan's birthday every year by doing some sort of marathon event. And, and we call it the Dan-a-thon. 
And um, so we wear t-shirts with his face on it. It's a lot of fun. Dan's an introvert. Uh, he's not here right now, so we can talk about him. Uh, and yesterday, Dan ran 50 miles, right? I mentioned this last week in, in sermon. And so, so it, it was so much fun to watch Dan persist and persevere and, and for us to be able to rally alongside of him and go. And Brad and I, at the, at the end, were riding a tandem bike down Madonna uh, Road in San Luis Obispo with helmets that did not fit, um, cheering Dan on. And so I know that we're on social media somewhere with the hashtag of, you know, two morons, right? I mean, we look like fools. It was fantastic. So here's Hugh Freeze coaching, and here's Dan running, and, and that kind of effort and that kind of dedication is spectacular. We need wisdom as human beings to know the difference between what it is that we can accomplish and what it is that we cannot accomplish to persist and per persevere and pursue the good that we, we can actually do something about rather than working on a problem that we'll never be able to solve. I had a neighbor in Los Osos, um, my, our next door neighbor, she was a Buddhist and, and we would talk all the time. Um, and, and she said, we were talking about what it is that we believed. She asked me what I did for a living. And for the first five years, I told her that I worked in human resources. Uh, and then it slipped out one day that I was a pastor. And then, of course, she wanted to have the talk, right? Because sometimes when you're a pastor, you don't want to let anybody know that you're a pastor because you just, you want people to see you as a human being rather than, you know, this thing, this guy. And so she said, oh, well, I'm a Buddhist. And I said, Awesome. So what do you believe as a Buddhist? And she said, well, I, I have uh, this mountain of karma um, from my past lives that I'm working down by doing good deeds right now. I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot. She goes, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, but I recycle and, and, um, and like I take care of the environment. And so, you know, it's just one, one thing at a time. And the goal is to Reduce suffering here on, on this planet Earth. And there's a lot of truth to my neighbor's Buddhist beliefs. Like on our own, we will work and work and work and work and work and work and work. At the attempt of trying to heal our wounds, at the attempt of trying to fix our problems, at our attempt to try and end suffering. And yet this treadmill is absolutely full of hopelessness because that kind of work never ends. You never finish the race in that kind of work. And the gospel stands against this kind of weary thinking. John says right here that Jesus loves you and me to perfection, to completion, till it is finished. So what is finished? So on the cross, Jesus finishes three things. Will you read the first one with me? On the cross, Jesus finishes the power of our mistakes. You're forgiven. Like your past mistakes, your present mistakes, even the mistakes you're going to make in the future, you're totally forgiven. You no longer have to live with guilt or shame. It is finished. Amen? Amen, amen is the Aramaic word that says, I agree. If you agree, say amen. amen. Read the second one with me. On the cross, Jesus finishes our strategy to earn perfection and to be enough. 
On the cross, Jesus, not only does He substitute Himself with us by taking on all of our sin, but also He substitutes Himself with us by granting to us everything that He earns. All of the merit badges that He's completed, they get put on our shoulders. His report card, given to us. His 401k, transferred into our account. Pick whatever analogy it is. All of his goodness, all of his perfection is then granted to us. So you know what that means? Relax. Like you've already won the game. The trophy's on the shelf. So you don't have to have the anxiety of being perfect. You can enjoy playing. Does that make sense? Say yes, even if it doesn't make sense. Thank you. I need your encouragement. Third one. Here we go. On the cross, Jesus finishes the power of sin and death. Just as Paul said in communion, that Jesus defeats the power of sin and evil and death. He forever weakens it, forever crushes it, so that light always overcomes the darkness. So when the lights go out in your life, it's when you have one light there, it pushes out the darkness. You're no longer bound as a slave to sin. You can actually choose to be obedient. When you resist temptation, guess what? You win. You got to keep on doing it, but you win. That is evidence that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. So I just wonder, what does it is finished mean for you right now? Do you have something in your mind that's been nagging at you? A past mistake, right? Even a present tense mistake. You, you beat yourself up over it. Do you need to know that the power of the cross has finished that, has ended that? Are you working really, really hard to try and earn God's love? Can you be done with that? You feel overwhelmed by a temptation, by something that's going on in your life. Can you push back against that with Jesus? So Jesus has finished on the cross something that we cannot. And that's what everything is about today. So I'm going to make this point again, just so that you pick up what John's putting down. Okay? Here we go. Verse 2. Let's read together. The evening meal was in progress. You, you picturing it? Slow down. You picturing it? They're not at the long table in the Last Supper, right? They're all in a circle. They're all, they're, they're all lounging on the ground. They're not sitting in chairs. And they're all eating with each other, laughing, talking, wondering what's going to happen next. Okay? Keep on reading with me. The evening meal was in progress. of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So they're having dinner together at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house, and already Jesus can tell the darkness swirling around Judas. Everything is about to fracture. The enemy wants to fracture your life. The enemy wants to introduce doubt about who God is, resentment about what God hasn't done yet in your life, and then an, a mistrust about him so that you will then withdraw and isolate. That's the enemy's strategy in your life. I'm going to stop praying. 
I'm going to stop connecting with other people. I'm going to withdraw and isolate. And that's what he's working on Judas right now to do. Brothers and sisters, I pray right now that you would open your eyes and wake up and understand that you have an enemy. And wishing that you didn't doesn't make the enemy go away. The battle is for your heart. Do not shrink back from the fight. Stand up. You have incredible power and authority. Pray. Command the enemy to leave. Don't ask. Command. If you have a a harassing voice, tell the enemy to leave in Jesus' name. And you know what happens? It will. It's gone. If your kids or you are suffering from nightmares at night, put worship music on in your house. Tell the enemy to leave in Jesus' name. And you know what happens? The enemy leaves, and you will find rest in your sleep. This is your birthright. This is your inheritance. It's important that you open your eyes to see what God has given you. Okay, so Jesus is eating dinner and watching one of his beloved friends, Judas, being eaten alive with fear and resentment and anger and this betrayal that's going to happen. So what does Jesus do? Verse 3, read it with me. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing. So Jesus, there's something really interesting here. John has just said something very fascinating. Jesus knows about his past, his present, and his future. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That's his present. So Jesus is aware of what he can bring to the table and the calling that he has on his life. Jesus is also understand, uh, understands about his past, right? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Read it with me. And that he had, that he had come from God. So I just said this this morning and hope beyond our brokenness, right? That the most important thing about your life, when you think about your past, is not about what happened to you. Jesus doesn't say, you know, the most important thing about my past is that my family never got a fair shake at life. We were refugees in Egypt. You know, the most important thing about my past is that I never got a dad who taught me how to grow up and be a man because Joseph died early. You know, the most important part about my life is not that I lived in poverty on the backside of the Roman Empire. That's not how Jesus defines his past. How does he define his past? It's not what has happened to him. It's who he belongs to. You belong to God. The most important thing about your past is that you belong to God. The most important thing about your present is that God has given you a calling and the power to do something about that calling. And the most important part about your future is he's going back to God. He's going to go to heaven where everything is fine. Amen? Amen. There are no bills in heaven. There are no traffic stops that turn into another shooting in heaven. There are no failures in heaven. There is no sickness and heartache in heaven. 
And so if you know that all will be well, and if you know that everything that God has given you to do is powerful and urgent and important, and if you know that your past is defined by the fact that you belong to God and that that belonging will stretch into all eternity and never end, then you have the power to love people to completion. You will have the power to love your family and your friends to completion. Even the ones you don't like. There's like two people that said amen. So what does Jesus do? He gets up and he takes off his robe. And he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And he takes a bowl of water. And he kneels down before his friends. And one by one by one, he takes his friend's feet that are covered in the muck and the mire of life. He takes off their sandals and he does slave work. He washes the muck and the mire off their feet. He places himself in this vulnerable position to do this holy work. It's incredible what he does. He washes the feet of Judas, his friend who's going to betray him. Then he sets the bull before Peter. And Peter speaks up. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, I mean, Peter's looking at his feet, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's looking at his feet, and he's looking at Jesus. And he's like, are, are you going to wash my feet? Because they're gross. You ever walk 20 miles in the dust? It's gross, right? His feet are gross. And Jesus replied, Look, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll figure it out. And we totally get where Peter's coming from, right? Jesus, I don't want to dishonor you. You're my Lord. Like, you're, my, you're the boss. You're the big kahuna. You're, you're God, right? You don't, you don't stoop down and wash my feet. Now, Peter's being kind of weird because Jesus just got done washing every other person's feet. So, Peter then, you know, I'm just, I'm imagining it goes like this. This is not in the Greek or anything like that, but I'm imagining Jesus taking Peter's feet and trying to put it in the basin of water and then Peter resisting, right? Like covering his feet over midair, right? Verse 8, and Peter's like, no, right? You're, you're never going to wash my feet. And then Jesus says this, unless... I wash you, you have no part with me. How many of us can relate with Peter that we don't want Jesus to have to go through the pain of washing our feet? We'd rather not be vulnerable with the muck and mire that's in our life. Amen? Amen. I was joking with 
Dolores and Vince about the, about, oh, you're, you know, this is Mike and Eunice's kids and they're here today. And it's like, oh, for new visitors, we have you stand up and tell your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> right? Uh, that's a great way to shrink a church in a, in a, in a hurry, right? And, uh, and my gosh, uh, this, is, this is what Jesus is doing with all of his disciples. He's inviting them to be in this really vulnerable place where, where he's going to touch the places that are all dirty and crusty in his friend's life. And it's scary being vulnerable. It's scary having someone see and touch and talk to you about the muck and the mire that is currently crusted to you. Now, this is not because there's something wrong with you. This is because, like, when you walk through this life, you get crusted with muck and mire. Muck and mire happens, okay? Um, so we're covered in these grave clothes like Lazarus, but our strategy isn't to have our friends unravel us. Our strategy as American Christians, especially on the central coast of California, is, you know, everything's fine. I'm good. You're good. And so I'll deal with my problems by myself. Um, no, thank you. I don't need anybody washing my feet. Right? I'll go get a pedicure. That's fine. A mani-pedi. That's good. But I'm going to take a shower beforehand. Okay. And so what does Jesus say together? Read it with me again. Unless I wash you. Ah, that's heavy. Unless I, Jesus, wash you, you have no part of me. Jesus is saying this. Like if you say that you trust me, if you say that you believe in me, that means you let me into your muck and mire. Don't hide those places from me. Your job isn't to fix what's broken in you before you come to me. But that's what we do, don't we? Right? We have our problems in our life, which is like a big pile of manure mixed with old mayonnaise, right? It's gross. Isn't that an amazing image? Yeah, smells fantastic. And so what we do is that we, we have this big pile of our manure and mayonnaise all mixed in the table, and we think, well, there's Jesus over here, and here's me over here, and I got I to gotta clean all this up before I can go meet with Jesus. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus isn't asking you to deal with all your stuff before you get to them. He's asking you to invite him to stand right by your side and look at that together. Faith is the act of giving Jesus access to what is broken in you, to letting Jesus wash your feet, to letting Jesus identify what's muck in your life that's not really you and what is actually you. In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus teaches, has this really kind of crazy parable, or it's, it's, a, it's a teaching, really, and he's teaching his friends about what it means to trust and follow him, and he says, look, there, at the end of time, when people die and come before me, there's going to be a type of person who approaches me, and they're going to say this, Jesus, I knew all the right answers about you. I said all these amazing prayers on your behalf and did great things in your name. And Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to say this. Jesus doesn't say, 
you never knew me. It's not you didn't have the right answers. It's I never got the chance to know you. Look, trusting Jesus is as much as about knowing him as it is about letting him know you and inviting him in to tenderly look at the broken pieces of your life so that you can be healed. But this is where Peter is. Peter is unwilling to let Jesus know him this way for Jesus to wash his feet. And Jesus says it plain as day, look, Peter, it doesn't work that way with me. You've got to let me in, even to these gross and mucky and dirty places of your life. So how does Peter respond? I love this, right? This is fantastic. Well, then um, not just my feet, but my, my head and my hands and everything. Just give me a shower, Jesus. I love it. Peter goes from no to give me a shower. I am so like Peter, right? Uh, so all of his friends are pinching their eyebrows going, oh, Peter, you're not getting what Jesus is doing, right? Like this is not about hygiene. This is not about taking a shower. Um, again, this is about trusting Jesus to do what only he can do. Trusting Jesus to finish only what he can finish. Verse 10, read this with me. Peter so, or Jesus is so gentle. Uh, read this with me. Ready? Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. He's talking, wait, wait, he's talking real slow. Ready? Because he's trying to help Peter. Right? Read this with me again. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet and their whole body is clean. And you are clean. You're clean. Like, you don't need Jesus plus all of your efforts. You don't need Jesus plus all of your intentions. You don't need Jesus plus all of your perfection. Just Jesus. You're clean right now. It's not a contest. Like, you're okay. With Jesus, you got it. It's enough. Then Jesus says something ominous. He finishes ominous. He finishes the sentence. Next slide. It goes like this. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So John, the narrator, helps us understand what Jesus is saying. So this is, this is a very interesting because Judas is in the room. So I just wonder... What's the difference between Judas and Peter at this point? Later in this very passage, Jesus is going to predict that Peter will betray him and deny him three times. Um, so both Judas and Peter will deny and betray Jesus. So what's the difference? Well, at this point, nothing. They're both the same. So Jesus wants to make sure once again what has been done. So he says in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, 
he put on his clothes and returned to this place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? And their blank stares were not encouraging. So Jesus continues, verse 13. He says, listen, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Read this with me. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, everybody pay attention because we're going to bring in water. If I could have the ushers come forward. Like we're called, we're commanded to, to do what? To wash one another's feet. So God is saying, look, I want you to love others in the same way that I've loved you. So we get loved by God and then we love others. And what we do as American Christians, we say, I love that command to love others. That's fantastic. I have stuff I need to get rid of right now. It's overflowing out of my closets. It's old stuff that I don't want anymore. It's junk and I'll just give it to goodwill on my way to the golf course. And that'll be my good deed for the day. I also drive a hybrid and I recycle. I love loving others. It's fantastic. Do I get a plaque for this? Oh, wonderful. But that's half the command to love others. That's half the command. Notice what Jesus says. I've set an example that you should do. So there's loving others. Read it with me. As I have done for you. See, the first half of the command informs the second. We let Jesus into the muck and mire of our lives. And then we can love others. Look, I was Peter for the first 20 years of my relationship with God. I was focused on just being busy for God. And I can tell you that there was a kind of poverty from my love to other people. I wasn't generous. I wasn't interested in listening all that much. Um, I sent a lot of thoughts and prayers, but I didn't show up all that often. Um, when I gave, I gave what I, uh, I gave when I had something extra, which wasn't all that often, because I always found a way to spend the money, my money on me, right? And when I served, I wanted to be celebrated and noticed. And this was me even when I was a pastor. But God in his mercy gave me terrible gifts. And these terrible gifts were problems that I could not solve on my own. Look, I, I tried and tried and tried to, to stop drinking on my own when I was dealing with my son's surgeries and seizures. But I couldn't. It was only when I was actually honest with God and others about the muck and the mire that was stuck to me, that's when I was delivered and set free. I tried and tried and tried to make this church awesome, to see all of you healed and all of you fixed and, and all that we do to be absolutely spectacular, but I couldn't. And it was only when I was honest with God and y'all about my absolute limitations that things started to improve. 
And this list of terrible gifts goes on. These are gifts that I cannot solve on my own, projects that I cannot finish on my own. And, and every time that I tried to expend all of my energy to solve these problems, I deflated, I shriveled, I shrank. And that's because the gospel is so simple. It's so simple. And it goes like this. Before you breathe out, breathe in. Like you've got you've to receive the love of God for your own life even into all the muck and mire before you can give something away. And once I started to receive the love of God into the most broken places of my life, I never had to try and give that love away. It just erupted out of me. It's fun to be generous now. I leapt at the chance, I, I, I leap at the chance to, to be able to serve. Why? Because when we do these things, when we receive God's love and then give it away, according to verse 17, as Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is not a thought that we're talking about here. This is something that you do. You let God in and then you give that same love away. The main difference between Judas and Peter is not going to be the quality of their failures. The difference between Judas and Peter at the end of this week is going to be about this. That Judas says, I'm not redeemable. I'm not forgivable. Jesus, I'm not going to let you into this horrible muck and mire that's attached to me. And so Judas will make the choice to end his own life. Peter, on the other hand, will fall before Jesus' feet on the shores of the Lake Galilee and say, I'm a mess. Would you please restore me? And Jesus does. And he loves Peter. And then he tells Peter, now give it away. Let us pray. God, we open our hearts to you. We invite you to wash the muck and the mire off of us. We've been working really hard to solve these problems on our own. And there's just some things, God, that we cannot do, that we need your help. So Holy Spirit, come, cleanse us, renew us, wash us. And Jesus, we're so grateful for you that you, the King of Kings, would humble yourself to kneel before us and love us and finish what you started in us. So, Lord, bless and seal these good words that you've spoken to us today, that we've sung today, that you've ministered, how you've ministered to our hearts today. Bless my friends, Jesus. Guard them this week. And may they give away all that you've given to them.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.